Hello and welcome to the All About Valley podcast. This podcast is sponsored by KO Financial, specialists in mortgages and protecting your family's finances. Whether you're looking for the best mortgage for you or want to make sure you and your family aren't struggling if you're seriously ill or pass away, call KO Financial on 0141-447-0290 or email advice at ko-financial.co.uk. I will include this information in the show notes. So we're back and we've got Kenny McKay here today. Uh, it's great to have you, mate. I haven't seen you in years. I know. I've been I've been hiding, should I say. That's what happens when you have a baby. <laughs> aye, aye. I mean, you've had a pretty crazy time to have a baby as well. Like, that must have been a bit of a life change for you. It was mental, you know, like, um, so we had the baby on January 22nd and we could hear that obviously the, the virus was in China. And then um, you think to yourself, it's not coming here, man. Oh, no oh, chance. Man. And then two months later, you're knee deep and staying in your own gaff. <laughs> so um, with nothing to do. So he had a, I was really worried, actually. I was really anxious. My anxiety is bad at the best of times. Um, but the first couple of months, isolation, he wasn't allowed to see family, friends. I really thought he was going to maybe feel the effects of that mm-hmm. when he was older. Maybe when he was two, three year old, he was going to maybe not want to talk to anyone or not want to be near anyone. But he's been very, very good. We brought her mum into the bubble and um, her mum and dad into the bubble and uh, they got to see him all the time. So he kind of, he's good. He's good that way. Then we get a wee break, obviously, when the lockdown finished. And then we kind of got them around family um, if it was safe to do so. And now we're back in lockdown again. So it's been it's been aye. a it's been a experience, aye, as aye. I would say. You know, It'll be some journey to tell him when he gets older how that will get about. He's a Corona <laughs> baby. Aye, aye. He's a, <laughs> he, he was he was born in one of the worst years of of our history. I think, eh? Yeah, especially but, in my yeah. lifetime because this has been brutal for a lot of people. Was obviously the people who have, who are dying with coronavirus in their families. And the people who are dying with suicide and their families and the people who are not getting their cancer treatments and all that kind of stuff. It's just a big it's just a big catastrophe. You would never have been able to imagine it going like this as well at the point, you know what I mean? It's like kinda mental how it's all came about and how we're here now, almost a year later, still kind of in the same sort of situation. I honestly it is it's 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 mind blowing how 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 crippled yeah. The UK's became and I was already American that as well, but, but <laughs> <laughs> wrong choice of words. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, yeah. Just, just for the record, being crippled doesn't that bad. <laughs> anyway, if anyone's listening to us, it's it's it's, uh, it's it's mental how polarized <laughs> the, the UK's became on. Um, just it's, it's mental. Uh, we've just crumbled definitely. the whole not, uh, not the, the whole world, um, and a lot of the Western countries. We've just come, we've just crumbled, and it's it's it's, it's scary. Yeah, it's scary. It's definitely been a very up and down kind of thing. But you've actually done a lot during this time. I we've I've done loads. I've well, I had my operation. I've I've set up. Um, I set up obviously flip the mindset on Instagram, yeah. one of my biggest platforms, and I've been able to help a lot of people. Um, I've had so people would phone me if they were going to commit suicide and stuff, and I would pass them on. Not legally, I think like that. I'm not a psychologist. Do you know what I mean? I'm mm. not um, a mental health counselor. I think like that. I would just they felt I was a, a link to 
getting help and reaching out. So they would, they would text me and he'd help. They would phone me, they would tell me their, their problems. I would get them through it, help them get through it and help them make that call. Yeah. Listen, you've nothing to lose, make the call. I've done it, you know, because I was, mm. I think that's because I was so open and honest on my platforms for yeah. the last couple of years. And at the start when I was open and honest, a lot of people mailed me and didn't want to hear it. Do you mm -hmm. know, it was bringing bad back memories to them. But in time, it helped people kind of get over their own problems. So they would phone me. And I remember one of them, um, they were sitting in a car and I'd, I'd, they, they told me to talk about this. I can talk about it if I want. Um, so they were sitting in a car and what a great person they are. And um, they were about to, they had loads of pills and they were about to um, take their own life. Like we've all been there, you know, mm. not all of us, but you know, like yeah. I've definitely been there. Yeah. And um, so we had a great talk and then I finally convinced them to, to, to get help and, and they sent me a message a couple of weeks ago and says I want my, they want to come on the podcast and, and tell their story because it's a very unique story of yeah. what's got them to that position. But what happened was um, they decided not to and they've reached out and got help in unbelievable circumstances. Um, they've got, well, about the podcast so they'll come out, they've got the kids back. It's just, it's incredible, you know, and, and the, and I just think if I wasn't there, it might not have, if I didn't offer that on, yeah. on my social media, that might not have happened. You obviously have this great want to help people, which is something I can really relate to and why I, why I started this podcast as well. But in terms of how that came about, I want to sort of take you back and see how this mindset developed, because it's something that I've always admired and how you come across. Even when I first met you, you could tell that you had this sort of larger than life personality. Um, so you've obviously been through a lot to get to this point. What was your early life kind of like you? Um, oh, early life. You know, it's it's hard talking about my early life yeah. because obviously my brother and sister, my brother's now passed away. Um, it, it, it was amazing. My early life was amazing, but we didn't have much. We, we were just council, council estate kind of kids. Not not an estate as such. Just just council house and um my mum stopped working to work out to look after the three of us because i was mental i think <laughs> i think when i came along she was like right, i need to stop work um and uh, it was crazy for her because you know she'd just been battered lumps out about by a previous partner um and you, she was timid you know she was fragile but she was strong when it came to us you know she looked after us she gave us everything she used to save all year just pennies you know what she had you know she would eat we always i always used to look up at her sometimes and she wasn't eating dinner or she was just eating a slice of toast and it wasn't until i was a wee bit older i used to ask her why and she gave it all to us you know mm, and that yeah. and watching that can i can i break your heart when you're younger you know and and then why she was having the toast is so she could save up all year to buy her Christmas. It, yeah. it was incredible. And then um, amazing. We had a great upbringing, but to be honest with you, see, since the trauma I've seen my brother did, I struggle to think about a lot of my childhood memories. And this is why I do a lot of meditation now, and it's a different kind of meditation. I just kind of sit and I try and think of yeah. memories that I had with my brother, my mum, my sister when I was younger. And only certain, a few of them I can think about. I can't remember most of them. And it's... Yeah. it's um, that's hurting, but when I what I do is when I go home, me and my mum normally stay up to about two, three o'clock talking about memories mm. and talking about times like that, and that's amazing because it refreshes my mind. Like, oh, did that actually happen? Mm. I thought I was just dreaming that, and um, but it was good. We had a hard, we had a 
we didn't have much, but my mum made our lives or made our lives rememberable. It was really, really good. Um, Christmas was always a phenomenal time, you know. Um, and I had a nan and papa that, that mean the world to me. And they used to they used to look after us a lot, you know. Papa would invite us around for dinner three times a week and say, No, no, no. My mum Sheena, she was say, Sheena, no, you're coming in here for dinner tonight, take a bit of stress off you, you know what I mean? And I just thought that was incredible. So we had a really good unit. Um and then yeah, I went to Dunning Grammar. Um fantastic school. Um I didn't actually have much um I don't I, I don't think I had much going for me until maybe primary seven first year when I started being becoming really good at football and I was really good at badminton and it was sport, it was anything to keep me going. I was ADHD, so my mum refused to put me on Ritalin. Do you know what Ritalin is? The tablets that you take for ADHD, they can yeah. have detrimental effects. Um, so she put me into sport. Oh, so really? that meant three or four sports, <laughs> wishing she didn't know because I've got my knees now. <laughs> so that five operations might not have happened. Oh, I know yeah. I'm saying that you have got my knees. Um, just, it was crazy, and I was just playing sport every night, every day, every night after school, then at night time, um, so I would play football after school, then I would have football training at night, and I would leave football training half an hour early and go to badminton, and then I would go home, and I was just constant, constant wanting to do things, play the pipes, play the drums, and um, and, and and then I became, and then football became one of my big loves. So, to Playing all these different sports, what made football the ones stand out to you? Is it something that you could achieve and go for? Oh, I loved football. Um, I think there's a, I just, it was what, when my brother taught me how to play football, you know, I always put a picture up on his anniversary of me and him in the garden and the grass was like, like it was jagging it was amongst the yeah. grass, you know what I mean, in the garden. And um, he taught me how to play and it was always, I wanted to be like him. You want to be like him, I mm. didn't have a dad. You want to be like your brother, and and and, uh, and yeah, football is what we could put into. And we had a nursery league king. I said in the podcast the other day, it was two to three year old, but it was actually four to five year old. We went in that um, nursery league, and it was just that was the best thing you look forward to. Running about with all the boys, handing up, um, catching the ball, and you were a striker, and you shouldn't have cat you caught it. You know what I mean? We were just breaking all the rules. You had fun, mm-hmm. you know. And um, to be honest with you. I loved football up until it got serious. My main, my actual love was probably badminton. I enjoyed okay. badminton more than anything. I mean, I played constant ones, so many competitions. It was just amazing badminton. Even when I lost, I was happy. That's what badminton made me, you know what I mean? Um, so I think football was just what, football I was good at. Badminton, I couldn't have went to the level I went to. Well, mm. I could, but I, I didn't see... Football, you want to be a footballer. Yeah. That's probably it. You want to be that superstar when you're younger, aren't you? And you want to be Ronaldo. Um, and it was Brazilian Ronaldo at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just, that's what you want to be. You, you know, you'll look up to someone, you'll have the posters on the wall. I had Alan McCoist and, and Ronaldo and stuff, and you just want to be them. So I guess it was that, just, just you know, chasing your idols. Yeah, because there wasn't really a platform for badminton at that time to pursue it, really, was there? No, football, well, football was the main sport. Yeah. Yeah, so I played football for the school team and, and I played football and then I went pro youth at 17. But when growing up 14 to 18, I was in the Bam Scotland Schools Badminton. Um, I played in the Scottish Championships. I played down in Birmingham in the National Championships and I was also in the Scottish Athletics team. So I had a lot of, I was, I was just, I think I'd just done everything yeah. because it 
kept my mind from you know, I was it was ADHD, so my mind was constantly mm-hmm. going and I was constantly everywhere. So it kinda of, kinda of tired me out, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's totally understandable. Like you you've definitely got this kind of mindset of wanting to do more and, and that's something I sort of struggle with as well, is you you feel like you're constantly never doing enough. But with football, like as you're coming into it and you're getting to pro, what was your mindset like in terms of mentality of trying to get to the next sort of level and make something out of it? And then when did the kind of anxiety kick in for you at that point? Did it did it come hand in hand as you got more success with football? Um, no, that's a good question actually. Um, really good question. I I was the most committed guy ever. I mean, I was so committed with football. I mean, I played when I played for Morton. Um, was in a youth team, pro youth. Um, I would be travelling, getting the ferry from my hometown. After school, I would run home, get ready, run to the ferry. Get the ferry over, rain, hail, or snow, it didn't matter. And I didn't, we didn't have a lot of money, so I would walk from, you know, I would, I, I didn't get lifts, I would walk all the way to Capolo or to the way to the Battery Park, and I would train in, in, the, in, the, in the piss and rain. Um, and then the nighttime training would finish, I would walk all the way home, soaked, I would have to get the Western Ferry. I missed a half nine one, so I would have to wait an hour and a half for the for the next one or whatever it was. Um, soaking in a wee wind shack. The, the waves would just come up and throttle you, man. It was brutal. And then I would get in the ferry, soaking, you know, get my change of clothes back on. And then I would get off the ferry and have to walk a mile, mile and a half home, get soaked again. Then I would get in 12 o'clock at night and then and then be at school the next day. It was really, it was, it was, it was brutal, but that's how much I wanted it. Back then, I didn't think anything of it. I just thought, sometimes I was walking home thinking, why Why is this me? Why can't I just get a lift? Blah, blah, blah. But I was appreciative of the of the chance, and I think you just, you just go through it, don't you? Yeah. My, uh, anxiety-wise, um, oh, great question. Anxiety hit me when I had my, after my brother died, because um, I was numb for a while after he died. Um, went to the morgue. The, the, the main thing that that changed my life and made me mm-hmm. go through my breakdown and stuff was my brother, my brother died, fair enough. Um, we went to identify him at the morgue. And something I'll never forgive the, the guy for. We went to identify him and uh, we've walked in the room and it's a wee, I can remember it, it's a wee kind of chapel room with the, the, the wee kind of desk there. Um, and he's lying there, and the sheet was not covering his feet or his um, face and shoulders. And I've, it was me and my sister and my uncle, so I walked in, and I've seen his feet, and I'm thinking, something's wrong there. And, and you, the only way I can explain it is halfway down his foot. Mm-hmm. So the first half of his foot yeah. was, was pure white, mm-hmm. bottom half, totally red. Total red, just like weird as I can't even describe it. It was just like they colored mm. in the bottom half of his body yeah. red. And I'm like, I'm just a wee guy that's never seen anything like that. My mum had sheltered me for all that madness, you know. She kept me away from from, from that. Um, and I'm thinking, and I'm full of life, you know. And I'm thinking, my brother's who's been like my dad, bestest friend in the world, now like a shell. So all your faith, everything's just blown out the window. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everything about life, mortality, you know, it's just blown away. And I've went, and I've, and I shouldn't have done this. I'm open and honest about it, as, as, as horrible as it is. 
he's lying there and his face is there and his chest is all sunken. It was two weeks post-mortem we weren't allowed to go in. Chest is all sunken in. And, and people will be here probably seeing the same thing. And this pool at the bottom of his body. And his eyes are open. They've not even closed his eyes for his going in. Right? And his eyes are pointing up that way. And I'm sure I said this in my original story. So I've walked to the other corner of the room mm-hmm. to look him in the eyes. I don't know why I've women done it. It's like, I'm thinking, see when I think about it now, why have I done that? Yeah. I've, you know, and I've went and I've, I've looked at him straight in the eyes and the face, because obviously that's the face he dies with. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? The face, it killed me. I, I had nightmares about it for about, I had nightmares constantly about it and that's what brought on my PTSD and all that stuff. I couldn't get his face out my, my head of your your idol. You know what I mean? Just shelled and then I'm thinking about life and death and it put me into a spiral of um I wasn't ready for it, let's say that. <laughs> my mum didn't want me to go and see him. Um she was pleading with me not to, but you're the son, I'm the I'm now the dad of the family, you know what I mean? I'm like, ah, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going. Blow me away. Did the injuries come about the same at the same point as that? Um no, no. Um, so after that, uh, I turned into a wee bit of a different person. Um, depressed. I was really depressed and stuff, and I didn't see anything funny anymore. Do you know mm. that way? Somebody's yeah. telling a joke, and the whole room's laughing, and you're like, I didn't really find that funny. And then 10 seconds later, you're like, what's wrong with me? Like, mm. is there something wrong with me? And then I lost my girlfriend of four and a half years. So I had to kind of get myself back up. And I've done that through piping. Right. I've not talked too much about this. I'm a bagpiper right. uh, and I play a drum. So I've done that through piping. Uh, I was piping mad. Honestly, I was piping mad. I used to practice, you know, three, four, five, six hours a day. Um, so I picked that back up because I'd not really touched it since I was playing the morning and I'd, I'd um, started piping all the time. And I started, um, well, for six months, sorry, I was, I was numb. I was just playing PlayStation, depressed. Mm. Then I had to break down, and um, so I picked myself back up, and I got a phone call one day. And I would see, to be honest, these six months or longer, whatever it was, I was kind of, you know, I was just going to the gym twice a day, training, going to my mate's house, not finding any jokes funny, back home playing PlayStation, escaping, playing pipes, escaping, just kind of mm. escaping like a depressant that's going through life. Um, probably thinking about suicide way too much um and then i started play i got a phone call off a boy called Stephen money for greenock juniors junior football semi-pro basically right and he phoned me up and he was like oh okay how are you doing that i says are you playing now he's, he knew i wasn't playing he'd already spoken to someone that knows me and he's playing now blah 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 and i'm like no and he's like i want to come over and train by the way i've been trying to get a hold of you for ages blah 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 um, and I was like, oh, it's good. It feels like someone, someone, you know, someone wants me. Because at Morton, remember, I get let go. Yeah, 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 of course. So um, I was not, I was, I'd fallen out of love with football, yeah. you know. So it brought me over to training over in Greenock. It was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. Um, there was a guy called Alex, Alex um, Wilson. I like Wilson, and he was the chairman of Greenock Juniors, and he kind of became like a football grandpa to me, you know, very, very close to me, he would pick me up, so at Morton I was never picked up at all, I'd walked everywhere, he'd pick me up at the ferry, 
take me there, get me something to eat, maybe take me to his house, get me something to eat, have a laugh with me, take me to training, take me home every time. Never walked, never done anything like that. And it was just that family. So, I, so I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm accepted. I've got something, you know, mm-hmm. and you feel good. So I used to give them all for that team. And um, f- three years with them, and two years with them. So, so it was two years with them. Sorry, I tell a lie. I'm getting my time frames mixed up. This one, <laughs> this is what I do with my anxiety. My brother died when I was at Greenwich Juniors. So he right. died two years into Greenwich Juniors, and I had to take a couple of months off. That was it. So when I went pro, is when I probably really. Because, see, when I was at Greenwich Juniors the last year, I was playing for my brother constantly, you know what I mean? I mean, you're numb, you know? So that year is a bit of a blur to me, but it was it was, it was a great year, you know? I scored loads of goals. Every game, every goal was for him. You know, after that, I'm looking up at the sky, every goal was for him. So you, you don't become yourself. You're doing it for someone else then, you know what I mean? Um, when I went pro, my anxiety, my anxiety started kicking in. Not just in my football as a person, started kicking as a person. So I was, I was not dealing well with everything. I'd held things in for too long, and 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 I was crumbling. Now, when you were playing football, professional, I was still in Dunoon at that point. So I'm making a three hundred and forty mil round trip, um, to train him. When you're doing that, and everything's flying, everything's going amazing, and your knees start getting a wee bit sore, do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? You start feeling this pain coming on and it's making your, your running style and that change a wee bit and then yeah, yeah. what does any young footballer do? You keep going through it. You don't listen. Ah, been knee pain, ah, stuff it, you know what I mean? You don't tell anyone. So I got to a bit where they got a wee bit worse and I had to take a couple of games off. Now at that time we were playing really, really well. We were challenging for the league. I was the main player. I was scoring all the goals. Um... And I was, I was, I was, I was really, really, really struggling with my knee pain. And I took a couple of games off and the manager made me feel like zero, made me feel so small. And it always kind of upsets me this when you're talking about it because it could have been so different. And I'm playing through the pain, took a couple of games off. I get made to feel like I was letting the whole team down when I was just, I think they thought because a big boy like me couldn't have knee pain. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I'm a big, strong boy. Knee pain, I'll get up normally. Football has that. That's why mental health, mental health is the worst in football. Don't care what anyone says. They'll lie to you if they want. It's terrible. Um, really poor. Took a couple of games off and I get back and I thought to myself, well, see when you have that thing where you know, you know your injury is going to, wipe you out yeah you know, you know you're in trouble with your knees you know something's wrong you don't want to admit it you don't want to whatever whatever if you need to get an operation that's hard to keep going to training every day and then you're maybe getting abuse for not playing as well because you're in so much pain and then i just got more anxious more anxious more yeah. anxious until the part where because i had the first operation and i came back i had that much pressure on me at that point where i didn't want the ball i didn't I remember you say when the anxiety came in, I remember one game against Peterhead and uh, it was a, a, they were top of the league and we were and it was for us to go top of the league, right? And fifteen minutes into the game and it's raining. I can remember this and all the lights are there and all that and my anxiety took over the lights are all broad, I'm spinning and I faked 
that had a flu virus a fake that to come off the pitch never forget this this was this was it's hilarious to think about it now but at the no. time yeah brutal um and it's actually quite worrying to think about it now actually as well because of what i'd put myself through i was really not in a good place and every time the ball was coming to me i was that scared to intercept the ball that my heart was pounding and i would react later than the ball hit me so the ball would bounce off me and then i would react and go and chase the ball mm-hmm. do you know what i mean and that was awful i felt so alone i thought with the world i could have come off that park and commit suicide that night for a fact honestly it was it was that bad. i was in that bad a place and then it happened a few times bonnie you're getting shouted at you're getting abused and other fans and players are getting you abused what's he doing and all that the boys just hitting off me all the time and i just i think the board came to me and i just fell to the ground and just faked faked the virus doctor they came they stretched me off i'm in there and the doctor's like his heart rate's his heart rate and blood pressure's high but that was just because i was so from, yeah, probably because yeah. I was so anxious, and that was that was that was an awakening. Sorry, I'm just blabbering there. No, it's it's really interesting because do you think that uh, coaches and football are more aware of that now, or is it still the same as it was before? Uh, Barry Ferguson talked about it in his podcast. He's he's a fantastic manager, and I've talked to a couple of his players, and he um he has that personal approach for the players, and he's there for them. You know, he's not just a coach. It's terrible in football. It's the man. Yeah. It's everyone for themselves. And even people are coming to me. We say, "Oh, he's talking rubbish." It's not what that they're talking. They're not lying. You you ask any young football. Look, we're seeing footballers commit suicide all over the joint. Sure. Last week, yeah. there was one for Man Man City after you let go and all that. People don't care, but them, it's it's created by football fans. Let's not let's not mm. be about the bush we want demand we demand you know a manager's not playing well he's sacked so managers come in with that attitude you're going to sack me you're going to get me sacked basically and then um, so if you are struggling you know nine out of ten nine out of ten times they're not they're not there for you personally it's almost like they don't know how to be and um and you won't really get a changing room where you might get the odd one you want you to get a changing room where someone will feel um feel that the team and the manager and that's approachable especially yeah. in professional football yeah. this is why it doesn't happen no one comes out as gay no one comes out as you know what i mean seriously suicidal because there's a massive presence gets put on it like that uh, david cox came out remember i don't know if you remember david cox came out um from peterhead uh, for peterhead he's a glasgow boy and it made the news it aye, made every paper aye, aye. about the, the suicide and i thought it's one player yeah there's millions do you know what i mean like why is so that shows yeah. you that how how can i untalked about it is. so what do you think what would be your advice to young footballers coming up now is, is to avoid avoid like being able to express yourself and sort of avoid these issues that you speak about like is there has there been is there anything that you could have done back then that you feel like you look back at you and you go if i had done that this might have been easier for me and what you would say then now? Don't play through the injury. Don't play that's through my, injury. That's my main one. <laughs> Do not play through injury. I get hundreds of footballers from all levels, Premiership, um, Scottish Premiership to, to Junior, who takes me all the time. How did you get through your injury? I'm getting um, pressured to play. How do I say no? That's a big one. Boy, actually, a couple of weeks ago, I'm getting pleasure to play. Don't know how to say, oh, I feel like I'm letting my family down, feeling like I'm letting everyone down. 
it's ridiculous. It shouldn't be the case. He's playing through a ridiculous injury. There was another boy who done it and then mailed me and said, I've played through my injury and now I've got an ACL. Oh, he's ruptured his ACL. Um, the doctors are actually... Here's a story for you. The doctors are actually going to try and find out when I ruptured my ACL. They've got a feeling that I've played and I've came back sooner than I should have. So what they've missed is an ACL rupture in my, my knee surgery. So see, when I went to my surgery there and got my whole patella reconstructed, yeah. he says, Kenny, you've got a ruptured ACL too. Or you've had a ruptured ACL and he says you've, it looks like you've healed it yourself. Now that makes me think I've really? played through that with all the cocodamol mm -hmm. and all the painkiller drugs I was trying to, to to take or have I, when has that happened? You know, and that, yeah. that thought, so don't play through your injuries because it doesn't matter what manager's pressure on you, it doesn't matter what, do not play through your injuries because at the end of the day, it is football, it's called, you know, it's like a lonely game. Everyone's yeah. in it for themselves, even though we're a team. Every player will snitch on you. Most players will snitch on you a second to get your contract. Do you know what I mean? They have to live their life. If they get sacked, football moves on. What a week in Tenerife, you know what I mean? It's it's so quick. If you get so when I was injured, manager just goes, No, we're not getting them paying for an hour operation for a million to get that through the not playing for an operation for a million to get that through the NHS. Two days later they go out and buy two new strikers. You know what I mean? It's it just moves on. You've forgotten about it. So you can understand the attitude, but yeah. we need to fix it. Like, um, players, if you play through that injury, your career's ruined. You know, I'm not saying I would have been a superstar or anything, but I could definitely have played for, you know, I had great contracts in for me. Um, and there might be a wee young player there who goes, plays through his injury, gets injured, can't play again just because he's like, and the manager goes on to coach all his life. So he's listened yeah. to that manager, got pressured, career's over. Everyone just goes, oh, he's chocolate. Oh, he's just, oh, he's just injury prone. No, 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 he's played through it. How do you know what happens behind the, behind the scenes? But um, I don't think that's helped, especially at top level, because fans take a big... Um, Aiton can be, you know, silenced these days, can I? Yeah. Do you think from an individual player standpoint, then, it's better to actually kind of be a bit selfish that way, then? 100%. You have to be selfish. Yeah. It's what agents will tell you. And that's why football managers hate agents. Oh, <laughs> honestly, you, you can see it more when you revise it. Football managers hate agents. Your agent will go, no, he's not playing. And you're not playing through that. And the football manager will fall out of the agent. You know what I mean? My agent was falling out of it as well. You know, my agent was brilliant, John McMaster. Um, he was in the, uh -huh. the UEFA Cup with Aberdeen, yeah. you know what I mean? Phenomenal. Um, and, and, you know, you listen to them. They yeah. always get, you, you know, they're working for you. They want to, yeah, they're making money, but they want, they want you for the long haul. And listen to yourself, listen to your body. Because um, I'm telling you, if your career will be over in a second. So you move into, like, once the football career, you're, you're starting to realise, like, these knees are getting too bad. This isn't going to be a long-term thing for me. I'm going to have to think of something else. You get into bodybuilding and PTing. What was that transition like from being like, I'm, 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 I'm going to have to admit to the fact that my knees aren't up to this and I'm going to have to move on from this? And you obviously went into a totally different kind of career, but almost with the same sort of principles of work ethic and drive behind them. Do you think that's why it worked out so well for you in terms of going into that field of PTing and being a bodybuilder and doing those things? Yeah, yeah. You know, I've always had that 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 mindset. I'm all, I'm all or nothing and I want to yeah. give everything full for me. You know, um, I think it wasn't, the transition was weird because... I would have kept playing football, see, at a point when I knew I'd been kind of let down by the system, by the managers and stuff like that, I then just says, right, I'm going to make it. 
I'm going to make yeah. it in football. I'm going to make it. So I went to Queen's Park with Gus McPherson, phenomenal guy. And um, I was all set on making it. I was giving my all and I was going through a lot of pain. Um, and then almost kind of your mindset gets so strong and, and you, you're so happy playing in a new club that you kind of forget about it all. And then I go so hard in training one day and just snap my leg totally. Um, I was loving it. You know, we were ready to go again. I felt amazing. So the transition was kind of when the doctor says you'll never play again, you know, mm-hmm. you'll be very, you'll never play again, basically. Um, so I think when you, I've done four rehabs from surgery. This is my fifth one, right? Um, it's four rehabs. So in them four rehabs, I started just falling into the gym. You're in a gym constantly, you're on the bike watching the players train, you're just doing sit-ups, and then you kind of go, right, well, I actually like the feeling of this. It feels good doing 100 press-ups. And then I'm going home and I'm saying, I'm feeling good. Why am I feeling good? And it's the, you know, the, the physical exertion. And, uh, yeah, I kind of fell into it. Every rehab, I got bigger, musclier. Mm-hmm. So when I came back, to Annan at one point, I had some set of guns on me just because I had nothing else to do. I was that depressed. Yeah. I was that mentally ill. Um, I'd seen a psychologist and everything, you know what I mean? I was ill at one point. And um, and and, I, I, and that, the gym just felt amazing. It felt, I felt accepted. No one, everyone's at the gym just together, teaching each other. And we were all like, all right, do this exercise, right? Okay, yeah, help you there. And I thought, right, I'm quite good at this. I'm getting in good shape. I know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm listening to, I'm watching loads of YouTube videos on bodybuilding. I thought, quite good. What happened is, when my football, uh, when I was, one of my injuries happened, um, I was playing really well at the time, actually, but one of my injuries happened, I uh, took, a wee bit of a downer. I was really down. Um, I can't remember exactly when, but my nan and papa says to my mum, get him his course, personal training course. Yeah. So I would never have became a personal trainer if it wasn't for them. So they gave me, they got me a course and uh, it was about four grand, honestly. My papa says, no, get him it. He's been through enough. He's been through everything. They've seen my commitment, do you know what I mean? They've seen my dreams kind of crumbled and I gave everything and I didn't kind of, I never felt sorry for myself, but I was down. I was really bad. And he gave me it. So I go up to stay with my mate Kieran um, Higgins and um, his flatmate Ollie. And they go, yeah, you can stay with us, do your course, brilliant. So I'm up there staying, I'm traveling to Annie's land every day from Nady Hill um, doing this course. And I loved it. It was one of the, I'd done it with Pegasus Training, big shout out to them, they are fantastic. Um, and I didn't just complete that course, Probably the six months after, I just kept learning, kept learning online courses, kept kept like everything. Do you, I think what a lot of personal trainers do is they, they stop learning when they pass their course and they'll keep going. So then I went and done a HND as well. So um, I think it was, I think it was, I kind of fell into it. I think I fell into that, and then when they paid the course, they gave me a lifeline. Yeah, you kind of fell in love with it. I, so. That's a really cool story about how he did that and gave you that chance to be able to do that. It's very similar to how I got into fitness, actually. I just sort of stumbled, across, stumbled upon it and done roughly the similar sort of pathway as to what you've just described. That it's, it's, it's interesting how things can just sort of fall on your life. It is, it is. It maybe that you have to get put in that place to yeah. to recognise a love for something else. Sure. You know, it's, and then it makes you think, I hate the 
the saying everything happens for a reason. But I think sometimes there's always a reason and certain reasons why you're in a certain position for something else to come along. Yeah. Um, and I was really bad and my papa and Nana, they're the world to me. They mean the world to me and my mum, obviously. Them giving me that lifeline was... was um, you know, she said, when I, when I, when I see you for the first time, I thought to myself, this guy looks like out of a movie, <laughs> and you're obviously really good shape and you still are obviously. And, and Not like that anymore, I've been eating too many pies, man. <laughs> Christmas, Christmas <laughs> has killed me. See, with bodybuilding, I was kind of interested in this too. So how come you never competed with bodybuilding? I don't like the dancey posey, man. Yeah. The dancey posey. Yeah, oh, that crap. Did, did it just sort of feel super, like superficial in a way? I love bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. I didn't fall in love with bodybuilding. I, when people talk about bodybuilding, I didn't fall in love with posing and competitions. Like, mm. ah, crap, man, Arnold and all that, getting the ballerinas in to teach some dance. You know, I, love, I, like, I, I like that visually and I like yeah. watching them. And, and, but it's not, I won't, I won't go and turn that on the TV. Yeah, it wasn't you. I don't watch Mr. Olympia unless uh. it's a top group and I just watch that to look at their aesthetics and, and their, their synergy and stuff. It wasn't me. And everyone used to say, oh, you're not the best bodybuilder in Scotland. You're not this, you're not that. You're just a guy that lives weights. And I never claimed to be anything. I just loved lifting weights. And I think people hated that. They wanted me to go and compete to show that, like, as if your size is only accepted if you go and win trophies. And I was like, no, I don't do it for that. I do it for this. It's therapy for me, simple. And it got too much. I was asked a great question yesterday about fitness addiction. Mm-hmm. It got too much. I was addicted. I'm eating eight meals a day, you know, I'm pumping steroids at one point, and I'm lifting like 240 kilos on my chest like this. And people in the gym are looking at me going, this guy's nuts. And then it can put you in a really, really bad place. Do you know what I mean? So it, I think... There's a learning curve there as well, do you know what I mean? That I'm going to try and teach people, and I think I'm going to bring out a wee episode talking about fitness addiction, because, um, I mean, bodybuilding for me, I got to 23 stone, 23 and a half stone, which is ridiculous. I was walking upstairs sometimes, going to my bed, my heart's going, and and the missus is beside me going, why are you breathing like that? What have you been, have you just been working out? I said, no, I just walked up the stairs. I just finished my, my, my oats and cottage cheese at like two in the morning like that. Waking up at two, waking up at four to eat. It was, and that's just, I think, you know, the ADHD and the, yeah. the stuff like that. I just need to keep doing stuff. And um, But I loved bodybuilding. I loved the weights. I loved the, the science behind it. You know, how our muscles grow, how our body adapts. Um, I love everything to do with like creatine phosphate systems and stuff like that. I just I, I used I just got mental with it basically. I got I get right into it. That's really cool. But it's it's an interesting point of how everything can get addictive eventually. Like you I take everything too far. Like everything. I, I've had that with with the gym as well, where it's kinda like you 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 obsess over how much can I do here? I think at the start of lockdown I was doing two workouts a day, both two hours long. So I was in the gym. I was in my home gym for four hours. Like every day and then one day i woke up my body was like just fell apart and was like what are you doing here this is great <laughs> you drive yourself into a wall but um yeah you mentioned doing an episode on addiction so let's talk about flood the mindset and how, how this came about because to me i've been watching your page and see since i met you like i said since i met you i was like very struck by the, the way you looked and was like this is so this is how i want to look you look at you and you go this is how i want to look um, and it was really interesting when talking about how 
flip the mindset kind of about because to me, one of the things that strikes me about you the most is when you first started talking about your anxiety and things like that and how you deal with it, what was really interesting was that you, you know, if people were to look at you, they would just think this guy is, this guy is, I, I automatically assumed that he's probably the most confident guy in the world. He's, he looks exactly the way that probably 95% of guys, if they're honest, <laughs> what they look like, you know what I mean? So that to me, when you talked about that, it was, it was, it struck me as this is, we are, we have a, we don't have, we're not open enough as to what the perception of these things are. So do you think, did you ever have a problem with like actually admitting that and saying, look, yeah, you might think I'm, you might think I'm this, uh, everything, you, everything you want, but it's, I've got a bunch of problems as well. And there seems to be this sort of too much emphasis on what you look like, kind of essentially. Aye. Oh, it's, it's great. Just listening to you there, I was getting lost in that there. That was great. <laughs> no, you're, you're right. You just had a couple of, um, yeah, you just had it in the head there. Um, I, I got that for years where, where I almost get tricked into thinking I couldn't talk about it because I was me like going through school, I was head boy, you know what I mean? And then you're playing football, you're, you're doing this, doing that, and then you start motivational speaking and you think, I can't talk about that. They're going to think, yeah, I'm what? Think, yeah. I'm fake. You know, I can't. But I talk about anxiety. They're going to think I'm fake. You almost convince yourself you're indestructible when you're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I was, I was a mess. I think the great points you made there with, you know, when I first started doing it, people talking about like my anxiety, and my PTSD, my I don't have PTSD anymore, but my anxiety, my depression, and everything that rocked me. People would literally go, "Can you don't like? I didn't even." See that? Mm-hmm. I goes how? Just because the way I look, like it's like the most thing some people look at a bodybuilder and he goes, he's a, he's an arsehole. He just looks like an arsehole. And then they see me and they know that all I do is things for other people because yeah. I just care about uh-huh. humans. I just love. I just think we care, care about each other more. I think, uh in regards to when I started talking about things, I got emails off of footballers, um, bodybuilders, which. Gangsters, business owners, teachers, nurses, all talking about their mental health. And I was, and you know what I used to write back? Why don't you come out and say, oh no, I couldn't do that, no. Yeah, well, exactly. People are looking at me to do this, or people are looking at me to do that. Oh no, I say, and I'm like, why? Why is there such a big, and, and for some people, there's a big ignorance to it. You know what I mean? No, I can't do that. He'll think I'm this, or I can't do that. No, I'll play for this team. What you know, and none of us are too good or, or anything to, to speak about stuff. So unless the problem is because you're um, you're really struggling to open up or you're really insecure and you just can't find the strength to do it, then do it. You know, yeah, like, you do it. It's very freeing. And and I've 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 got many people on Instagram to speak out about their mental health more. Um, I don't know if you, if did you text me at one point saying you I'd inspired you to yeah, speak Yeah, of course. Out? It, was, it, was, and, and, um, it was very Loads inspiring. of people have, have, have inspired to actually come out and I'm, and I'm looking at the pages every day and I come out and telling people about their mental health. But I think we create it. Humans create, we create our own demise, don't we? We, we make it that, oh, he's a, he's a ranger sailor, but he can't come out and speak about that. No. And then if he does come out and speak about it, hundreds of people will just slam him for it. <laughs> Saying, I'm not coming out and speaking again. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. we create our own humans create their own their own, you know, their own pot to piss in, I think. And 
and we've made it such a taboo thing when I cry, I cry a lot. I might have been hard as nails and 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 and, and massive and, and bite your face off in a second when I was when I was going through my troubles, but I would be home greeting into my pillow, greeting in my maw, cuddling my maw, felt best around my maw. You know, it's it's what you see on the outside is just not what's happening in the inside. I've had my arms round massive bodybuilders since I've opened up and I used to do my talk about it Tuesday at Costa, if you remember. Yeah. Um, and I would go and speak to people would just text me, um we would keep it anonymously and we would maybe meet or go for a coffee if they didn't want it anonymous or we would go for a walk in the park and they would just talk to me and we would just talk about the problems and I would just say try and phone this number or try and phone Chris's house or, and, and get professional help because I'm not professional but I was saying I had my arms around big bodybuilders who, who, who are really tough guys who just went to the gym for therapy and were so suicidal you know I've had I've had I've, I've been on video call to influencers with over 2,000 200,000 followers who don't know how to be normal now because on their Instagram they've made their sale into this person who's who's so far away from their sale now yeah they've made their sale into this person who's got money when they work in a call center they've made their sale into this person who travels to Dubai all the time when it's not it's pics from two years ago in Dubai they've taken so many and so many different outfits just to keep this profile up they've not come out the house because they're pretending in Dubai for a week so they've not come out the house so nobody can see them that is serious yeah poor mental health for me you know they don't want to go outside because they don't maybe don't look like they do on their instagram pics because they've created this this selling product online it could be a motivational person it could be a an influencer someone who wears clothes and and sells clothes and stuff like that we've got serious serious problems and i just wish people would come out and speak more well such a great point and the way you put it is excellent i think that the main thing that we need to recognize is that we're all human and we all go through these things and difficulty and struggle and hardships are inevitable for everybody just in different ways oh yeah the thing because we all have the same feelings like there's no different emotions yeah. we're, we're all the same species so that's that's the way of realizing is yeah we go through things differently but we still feel similar emotions and it's about being able to say this is this isn't even there's no there should be no stigma with this this is part of life you know and so going from that you then create you created for the mindset and you start doing a podcast now how did the idea for that come about well before that go back to your point you says we're all oh, what did you say there um, we're all different but we go through similar yeah, emotions yeah you says it's it's normal now let's talk about mental health has been it's one of the most normal it should be one of the most normal parts of life yeah. like like love or um or eating breakfast we are all everyone going through poor spells of mental health poor poor minutes poor hours poor days weeks or, or even a bad month you know and and people need to know that that's all right it's all right someone yeah. said the other day on twitter just can't stop um beat myself up today um, my anxiety is crippling and I feel terrible or something like that. I said, it's all right, you feel like that for a day. You get your, your blanket around you and wrap yourself up and watch Harry Potter. Exactly. It's all right. Yeah. So it's fine. Do you know what I mean? I have days like that. And then it's about tomorrow or about maybe dinner time or whatever. We just try and get ourselves back up again. Have your cry. Have it out. And, and I think this is something we just don't, we don't accept enough, you know. 
acceptance is huge for me, you know. Accept it, right, okay. I've had bad news, I've had this and that. I want to have a cry, have your cry and, and move forward again. I, I think we just, we totally, and as much as it's getting better, we are, yeah. mental health on social media and stuff, mental health awareness on social media, it's getting better. But you've still got too many people, especially, especially influencers who go on and promote mental health, who are not for it, they're doing, they're promoting a, a, a style or a kind of mental health for that suits their profile. You know it's not them because you know them, you might know them personally, you know what you're doing. Yeah. Just, just be you because that again is their mental health being poor the fact that they're wanting to do that and you, you just need we just need that authenticity i think more with everyone do you know what i mean footballers should be coming out and speaking about it more people who lead see people who who a lot of people look up to i think they are more accountable than me coming out and talking about it because well me now with the platform i built yes but like Barry Ferguson came out and talked about his anger management, um, going and seeking therapy for anger management. About hundred and something people emailed me about that after the podcast. Do you know what I mean? And I thought that was, I mean, I says, what, did you not think Barry would have any problems? You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And he goes, no. Nah. He says, and one of them actually texts me and says, that's not true. Bet you didn't do that. So a guy's just opened up about going to mental health and you, you've come in, even, I don't know, Rangers say it, does matter, you've come in, you're a human and you've just said, that's not true. Mm -hmm. That's what we're dealing with, do you know what I mean? So what I say is we need to stop listening to all the, all the, all the doubters, all the negatives, people, and we need to be open and, and be proud of it. So the podcast, the podcast, the podcast, do you know, it was weird. I wanted to do the podcast for a long time. Um... And I wanted to do it. I was about to bring out a podcast uh, years ago. And uh, it was actually not the way I wanted to go. It was about crime and all that. And when I had that thought, James Ingers came out. And he'd done it just before me, a couple of weeks before me or something like that. And I'm looking at it going, you fucker. Do you know what I mean? But I wouldn't have suited that crime and all that nonsense. That's not me. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? I don't know what he was like, you know. I don't know what to say about that, but for for me, it was maybe I just wanted to do something to fill a void. When a couple of years later, when the podcast idea came about again, it was for a, a great reason, a good reason, and a reason to help people. I didn't just want clicks and views, and I didn't want to get famous, you know, off other people's stories. I'm not into that. I wanted to, um, I wanted to bring celebrities or idols or just people in general down to everyone else's level yeah mainly yeah. in a mental health way i want to bring them down to the mm -hmm. level and let my audience and viewers um relate to yes. them and react off them that's what i wanted to do right okay so john harson oh it's just like me oh he had cancer and he beat it he's went through a divorce and, he, and he's came through the other end he's he's he plays for Celtic, and then all right so yeah. It's human, mm -hmm. you know, and when that clicks, I think that changes everything. So that's what I wanted to do. Definitely. So I was going the wrong way, and I think that was just through my ego and through just because there was a time in my life where I would post, and I only got like 100 likes on my Facebook, right? I would post a post on Facebook a time in my life when I was really ill. So my mental health was poor. Um, and if it didn't get over 100 likes, I would beat myself up that whole week and think about another post to get more than 100 likes. Doesn't matter what shit I was feeling. I would just research and whatever and talk shit. 
and that was poor me. And people do this every day now. You see yeah. it everywhere, just clickbait posts. So that was terrible. That was one of the worst parts of my life doing that because you get a negative comment on that post and you're ripping yourself to shreds every minute of the day. Would you think that about me? Like, what can they say that about me? Are they just saying I'm not? And you just get so horrible, horrible feeling. And then, you know, you're doing it for the likes instead of to help people. And I think that when I, when I changed that, it changed my life. You know, when I started the positivity, it bred positivity. You know, when I brought the good energy, it got good energy, like the law of attraction, you know what I mean? And what I reaped, I sowed. So I think, I think with the podcast, I actually get a text. I put it on my Instagram and I get a text off a couple of people. And one of them was the main man, Paul, mm-hmm. um, who's now my producer and he's just a fantastic man he's a fantastic guy and um became a good friend as well so when i get a text he says listen uh, i'm producing he says you want to you want to maybe meet up and discuss a way forward for the podcast he said i like your stuff i like the idea for the mindset like you want to help people i think he saw the authenticity in it you know he's Mm -hmm. not a guy that messes about and we've done that and the rest is history i think we wanted to do it for the right reasons you know i've helped thousands of people Thousands of people, you know, I've helped people um, not commit suicide. I've helped people change their life around. I've, I've helped, not, they've helped themselves, but I've gave them the inspiration to do that. And that's what I want to do. Is, is, you know, if you meet, yeah. I met someone in, um, you know, the, what would you call it? George Square with the yeah. Christmas thing. So I'm out with Steph and my wee baby and we're down. It was only George Square and it was a bloody reindeer and a sledge or something like that. And there was lights in the the building at George Square in Glasgow at Christmas time. Someone came up to me and goes, oh, I love your flipping mindset stuff. Um, it's really helped me through hard times. And I really started greeting. Honestly, it got me so emotional. Yeah. I just thought, that's why I do it. That is it, you know? I had another guy me and Steph were walking and there was a group of boys, right? And see when you're walking through Glasgow at like 11 o'clock at night, right? My group of, and a group of boys approached you and they're like 13, 14 year old and they're like, they're going to take a piss, they're going to float something. You know what it's like? Yeah. The guy goes, Oh my god, that's flipping mindset. That's flipping mindset. <laughs> my kiddie, you're class for me. <laughs> fucking this and that about, about tough times and all that. Mm. I think that's it. You want yeah. people going in and you know, you want people buying into It's not about money. It's not about anything like that. What we're teaching here is awareness on mental health. If you can get people raving about mental health awareness, you know, if you can get people raving about someone speaking about anxiety and something from being honest, I think we're winning. So we need more people doing that, I think. Definitely, and I think you've done a great job with the podcast. Every guest you've had on has been a great watch, and and the point you're trying to put across, it really comes across from everyone you've done and, and what you're doing. I think that's the, the kind of vibe you get from you as a person. I hope so. And I do you know it got me kind of wondering as you're as you're speaking about it. I was talking about how I felt when I met you and when I came in and I seen you and what it kind of done for me. But I was curious in the sense of. Obviously, if you don't, if you listen to this and you don't know that on the wheelchair, you're missing the whole point of this podcast. <laughs> but I came in and you're in a wheelchair, <laughs> exactly. I didn't even know. It's all about ability. Um, but the the you know it made me wonder as a as a trainer and just as a person, do you see many people in wheelchairs coming at gyms? I was actually talking to a lassie um, who came in in a wheelchair and we had a great laugh. Um, we just What's talk- Snapchat. <laughs> 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 I need to check my phone. <laughs> um, no, she was great. 
she was great. Uh, <laughs> she, she was, um, she was, she she was sitting. I've just, just fingered that, and I've said oh. she was sitting. Of course, she's bloody sitting. <laughs> the hell, um, can't think about that too oh. much now. Um, no, she was in it. She was in the wheelchair, and she was going on to the bike. I was like, um, and we were just talking, and I think it's important. It's like me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm used to the diversity and stuff like that. Like growing up, I was one of only three black people in my school. Um, I don't see anyone differently. You can't do that. I don't think anyone that does is just an idiot. Let's be honest about it. They are an idiot. Um, black, white, in a wheelchair, not in a wheelchair. Um, one leg, no legs. It doesn't matter. Um, I think we're all humans. We all can give each other the same energy. We can all, you know... We can all make a positive impact in the world. I don't think it's something that should even be viewed as uh, as as different. But I think it is in a lot of cases, and that's why obviously you're doing this podcast. Um, and for me, it, it, it's wrong. But but there's so many people that view black people differently. There's so many people that view Chinese people differently. You know what I mean? We've got this this horrible humans have got this horrible nature of yeah. of just identifying so many things is different and and it, and it creates such divide and i hate it yeah well but let's talk about it, <laughs> it it's, it's just about embracing difference though and really like everybody has that difference about them there's nobody really? that's the same and even just this conversation when you think about it you know we have two different totally different types of ranges of ability level in terms of things like see obviously i can't walk you can there's probably things that i could do that Potentially, you couldn't. Absolutely, don't, don't say potentially. Don't well, necessarily know what take, they are. Take but that word, <laughs> take that word potentially and throw um, them in. But the point is, is that we all have diff, different ways of doing things, and it's like, I think when people see this kind of conversation between two guys that are maybe different backgrounds, different situations they've been through, but they felt the same sort of, uh, they've had the same sort of yeah. hardships, a struggle. It kind of makes you, it sort of normalizes disability in a way, and you go. That's not the wheelchair shouldn't be the first thing that you see. Yep. The person should be the first thing that you see. Absolutely. And it's the same with any sort of mental health stigma. Mm-hmm. Um even just like you said before, the way you look made people think that's quite surprising. Because I was genuinely surprised and it was because I'm sure a lot of people look at you and go, This is these are the kind of this is the kind of look I would aspire to if I was in the gym and you were overshoot like if you were not in shape and you've seen you and that would be your kind of aim would be you kind of look like that so yeah the whole point of it is the perception of how people look at people and being able to open up and acknowledging the fact that literally everybody in the world is different mm-hmm. and then being able to embrace that you know absolutely i'm absolutely i'm, I'm absolutely in agreement. we need to embrace that i think um here's one subject um, disability sport. Um, we have a big problem with editors and sub-editors in journalism. Who? Let's 
there was a there was a debate I was watching a few months ago, and it was talking about whose whose fault it was. Blah blah blah. At the end of the day, the buck in papers, the buck lies with the sub editors. The editors, if they want to print a story, they will. There is journals who cover disability sport. There's thousands of them who are mm-hmm. really passionate and write really passionate reports and and papers. Give them to the sub editors, and the editors, and the editors won't publish them. You know, I think people are influenced by what's around them, and you don't. We don't see much of disability sport or. Like, disabled people in the paper all the time with their achievements do you know what i mean yes we don't exactly. see much of it so it's that way where there is disabled people who are in sport at the highest level they can play at right who are breaking records constantly ridiculous records i'm talking about you know you know what a class records, yeah. and they don't get in the paper for that do you know what i mean to me that's that's mental and and I don't understand it. And I think that with what's influenced around you with everyone, like re- reading the papers and all that stuff, and then you see a disabled person, I don't think they can, they think they can't relate mm-hmm. for some reason. Exactly. And it's I don't get it. It's, it shouldn't look at the energy in this table today. Hmm. You know, the best conversation I've had in months, in years. Um, and it's... I don't know. It's just it's very. I'm very passionate about this kind of thing. But, but that's a, what you said. That was exactly correct when you when you talk about the fact that it's it's you, you don't actually see it. When when I was younger, growing up, there was nobody on the telly talking about what it's like to be in a wheelchair or or any kind of thing like that. Where it, it was it, if it was like deemed inappropriate to talk about and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? See, even when I started doing the podcast, there was a lot of people, a lot of like reasons pointed to me to go. There's a reason why people with disabilities don't really do podcasts, and you might be putting yourself out there to talk about, in, in the sense of like we're not really given the fair shot. So it's almost like you're discouraged right from the off because you think nobody's going to listen to me because they don't even want to. Read. We're not given any kind of coverage. Yeah. You talked about you know sportsmen being on. I know people that have won five Paralympic gold medals oh. in in the in the you know skin, and you're like, how are you? Not sponsored by yeah. like everybody. No funding. Do you know what I mean? It's it's yeah. it's crazy. Like last two years, I've managed to win the the players' player of the year and the most valued player of the year for Pembrokeshire football. Oh man, which is great, and I enjoyed it. But and then you go and you get to the Scotland team and you you managed to captain the team once, which was amazing. And I just thought, who does no? Why does nobody know what is going on here? Like there's no coverage. There's no voice. There's nothing. Been said about it. Brutal. You, uh, so. And then I bet you the when the Olympics come around, they'll be all over it. Exactly. As uh, if they're doing a good thing. It's, it's disgusting. I think I, I would like to hope that platforms like this is what is where we can develop that kind of equalness. Because you look at women's football, for example, they get they've they've worked really hard and they're getting the coverage that they deserve. Yeah. And I think yep. for disability sport, we are sort of in the same yep. journey. But the only the only Thing that's held us back really is there's so many variations of disabilities that was trying to bring us all together, yeah, so that we can fight for it together, yeah. Um, because no should, one, no one else is going to do it for us. You know? Should you need to work really hard? Exactly. What? Uh, what I mean, should if, you need to work really hard to get women's football and and um, disability sport to the to the front four to the four? Exactly. Should you need to like what? 
it's, it's all about cash, it's all about money, isn't it? And funding and, and people being ignorant. I think um, the word that works in mysterious ways is I just can't believe, I mean, women's football now is still heavily degraded yeah. from from men, basically. Even I'm in, in pubs or when I'm talking to people or on forums or anything like that, they don't, most of them give not one ounce of respect to it. It's ridiculous. Um, it's, we can't, it's almost because, it's almost because we can't identify as something like, you know, we can't, not identify, we can't, um, you know, we can't imagine ourselves in other people's shoes um, that we can't, because we can't relate to something, we can't, yeah. we can't support it or we can't be empathetic to, or we can't embrace it, is the word I'm looking for. It's, for me, that's crazy. It's a big problem. Um, I remember reading a, a, a podcast, uh, watching a podcast, I think actually Paul, um, produces it. It's about, and she was telling a story about walking a mile um, in someone else's shoes. It was all about empathy and stuff like that. And I think it's, it opened my eyes. Do you know what I mean? It's like someone, it's like, could we walk a mile with a burden of someone else's life? And uh, the thing is, we, it would open, we couldn't, you know, we, we can't, we're not, we don't, if, I'm so passionate about this, it's killing me, it's ripping me open. I've got like 3,000 things going through my head here to, to, to fight the case. But I just think, like, well, what could we do? What do, what do you feel we could do to, to, to bring it to the fore? Well, the, my main thing is, I used to think that it was everyone else's fault in the sense of like, you have a big chip in your shoulder and you go, well, how, why is nobody advertising this? Why are we not getting like, the same kind of coverage or any kind of coverage yeah. really yeah um and really thought it was it was nothing i could do about it all their fault but also what i've what i like to do now is focus on the things that i can actually do evolve and focus on what's you, you, can, you have to take it bit by bit yes and so looking at it from a, a point of view of what can I actually help to change here my thought was yeah but we don't really we don't really we need to believe it first so so as a group of disabled people, let's say, for example, just forget this is what I play in wheelchair football. As a group of people, we all need to be taken seriously and professionally and like eating the right stuff and, and training the right way and showing ourselves working hard, showing showing like the public what it means to us as players yeah. and what it means to us as athletes and being together in the same pace to push through that barrier. Mm -hmm. That's the only way that you're going to get noticed because Racism didn't end because white people fought for it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like black people had to fight for, for themselves. Yeah. Women have to fight for women. End is definitely not end. I know. You know, so it's, it's still a heavy, a heavy issue. But all these different topics are fought by the group of which yeah. that, and we are not really Absolutely. doing that as a group. So it's trying to bring us together as a group and say we need to kind of tackle this head on in every area. Also, on the flip side of that, to flip the mindset, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> Is, is kind of what what do we in terms of actual what their quality should be i'm not asking for equal pay or, or anything ridiculous like that. i'm just saying let us show it like you could it's all about the way that you market things yeah people wouldn't care about the premier league if you didn't show or you know if you didn't show these things mm -hmm. all the time mm -hmm. so you could give us a, like all i'm saying is we just want a chance we just want 
a chance to be seen. Mm-hmm. And if you give us a chance to be seen, then it's about us taking that opportunity. So all I'm trying to do is build it up so that when the opportunity comes open, we can all take it together. Phenomenal. No, I think it's phenomenal. I can actually just imagine like a, a, a group of um, your football team in the wheelchairs all with a rock with a head with a head shaved and all that like, ready to go. No, I think that's no, phenomenal. Um, phenomenal points here. And I think, yeah, yeah, bring it to the fore yourself. Yeah, yeah, make, make the stand, fight it. Um, I just... I just I hope that would be recognised for sure. You need the respect, you need the appreciation, you need it to be embraced. It needs more TV time. Do you know what I mean? It needs to be in the papers more. These these young journals who are, who are writing about disability sport or anything like that. The disability world need to well, just need to be working harder as well to bring it to the fore. The sub editors and editors have to get their finger out of their arse. Do you know what I mean? Um, God, I don't buy papers anyway, but I would rather. You go online to see a fair, you yeah, know, exactly. fair broadcast of everything instead of having to go in and search it and then find it and then go through articles to find something. Um, I think a wheelchair doesn't define, uh, define. So in you, your wheelchair doesn't define you. You can be defined defined by being player of the year and stuff like that and some of the achievements you've done. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and you know what we what we bring to the world defines us. Exactly. Not, not, not being in a chair or me having terrible knees. You know what I mean? I've five knee surgeries and I've, I've struggled with chronic pain for years and painkiller addictions because of that. You know what I mean? That doesn't define yeah. me. What I bring to people's lives defines me. Do you know what I mean? My mental health doesn't define me. You know, I've I'm not scored. I'm not scared to go to a psychologist. The yeah. last since I had two appointments, no psychologist years and years ago and I'm that scared to go back in case they put me in a bloody <laughs> they say I'm a psycho or something like that you know what I mean but that, that that's true because you can get defined someone goes why have you not ever been back to psychologist or why do you not go and I says if I end up going back and it says a thing that I'm going to do recently because I know that's me kind of going against my own moral um if I go back and, and say everything that's in my head it will change for the mindset as a business or as a yeah as a platform Oh, he's he's or if make it, it come out that I was psychotic or anything like that, you know what <laughs> I mean? Um, bipolar or something. People look at you differently straight away. It's mental as humans just we're just people go off. What makes he guy who's bipolar? I don't listen to him. That's it. But you know what I mean? We're we're terrible. We create our own humans. Yeah. Are just we're, we're the best and worst thing to happen to this planet. Well, <laughs> very well put. To be fair, I think we've covered a lot of interesting subjects, and I think. We talk about disability, having someone like yourself on helps really raise the awareness in the platform for that. So I really do appreciate it. I feel like we could talk for another four hours here. <laughs> but um, you know, people have places to be. So I really I really appreciate your time. I think I had a lot of fun, it really flowed. And Absolutely. um I knew from the, the, the moment I met you that you could tell that we got I could tell that we got along. But as as you met me, I was kinda of going through some things and we've obviously been on our own journey, so yes. try to change the world. Yes, exactly. It's amazing to be sitting here with you, given where we're at now and what we're trying to do, and it's yeah. it a pleasure to have you on. Absolutely, I hope we can. A pleasure to be on, and I hope we can maybe collab and do something to raise more body awareness. Of course, mate. I'm, I'm sure we'll uh, come up with something. That would be class. Thanks, man. No worries, mate. It was a pleasure.